Good morning, everybody. So there's a um, priest in Arizona. His name's Father John Muir. And he went to seminary for a while, at least, here in Denver. We didn't quite overlap, but I knew him uh, as I was getting close to entering into the seminary. And he's just a super gifted guy, very talented. I actually encourage you to look him up. He has videos on the internet that he calls um, Catholic Breakfast. They're like two or three minutes. They're kind of neat. But Father John Muir is just, he's one of those people just who's good at everything, you know, those people we all hate. And um, he's a really gifted uh, musician and songwriter. And when we were in seminary, there was a song we all knew that he had written uh, that was really the best one. It was just fun and catchy, and it was a neat theme. And it's called Shoot Your Cow, right? How could you not love that? But the chorus says this. Shoot your cow, put a bullet in its brain, in the rain or in the sunshine, yeah, shoot your cow. (laughs) That's it. Have a good Sunday. (laughs) No, it's such a fun song, and it's actually, if I could sing, today would be like the one Sunday I'd be tempted to play this for you and sing it to you but I can't, so thank God when you go home today. There's actually profound theology in that song. It was a really deep song, actually. It was fun, and everybody loved it, but the song is about Exodus 32. And Exodus 32 is the story of the golden calf. The golden calf is the false god, the idol, that Israel worships at Mount Sinai. And so Shoot Your Cow is a song about getting rid of the idols in your life. I love that. Such a cool, creative way to sing about idolatry in our hearts. Now you might think, well, Father Brian, you know, I, I don't really have idols in my life. When I became a Christian, I got rid of my statue of Zeus, and, you know, it's kind of all said and done. <laughs> Here's what the Catechism of the Catholic Church says. It says, idolatry not only refers to false pagan worship, it remains a constant temptation to faith. Did you hear that? It remains a constant temptation to faith. Idolatry consists in divinizing what is not God. Man commits idolatry whenever he honors and reveres a creature in place of God. Right? Idolatry means we take something, a good thing, but we put it in a place it doesn't belong. We exalt it to a degree where it begins to take God's place. This can be false gods or demons, for example, Satanism, power, pleasure, race, ancestors, the state, money, etc. Idolatry rejects the unique lordship of God. It is therefore incompatible with communion with God. Idolatry, I love that line. Idolatry rejects the unique lordship of God. Brothers and sisters, God has to be 
God. He has to be the one who has a unique place in our lives, above everything else. And so it's so easy for us to make idols. So simple. Today, we're going to actually talk about stewardship. Today is our stewardship of generosity. And today, this morning, here at Mass, I love this every year. Most people don't. You know, this is one of those homilies every year that people kind of squirm a little bit in the pews. I had somebody at the last Mass, they were like, they're like, Father Brian, like, obviously you were talking to me. I was like, I was. And I was going to be like, you, you know? <laughs> no. We all get a little uncomfortable about money, but you shouldn't be. Brothers and sisters, today I have good news for you. Jesus Christ has a lot of teachings about money, and he wants to set you free. He wants money to be something in your life that doesn't cause you anxiety or distress. We'll talk about this today. Money makes a great servant if you can make it a servant to you, but it's a horrible master. Money is a great servant, and it's a terrible master. So today I'm going to give you three reasons. Today we're going to talk about theology. I want to give you three reasons today why money is not just something that's kind of a, I don't know, something that's not a part of your faith. Money is at the heart of your faith. It has to be for all of us. And I'm going to give you three reasons today why it's so important that your faith is reflected in the way you give your money. So the first one's that. The first one's idolatry. There's things that get in the way of our relationship with God. And money is one of the biggest ones. After Exodus 32, right, the, the Jews worshiped the golden calf. After that incident, in Israel's history, whenever the high priest goes in front of the altar on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, he has to sacrifice an animal for the forgiveness of Israel of all of Israel's sins. What do you think that animal is? It's a calf. It's a young bull. Right? God commands Israel to shoot its cow. Yes. We have to do that. God is going to tell us, brothers and sisters, sometimes if there's something in your life that gets in the way of your relationship with God, you have to get rid of it. Television isn't necessarily a bad thing, but if it gets in the way of your relationship with God, you've got to get rid of it. We all have things like that. So I want to talk a little bit about how does that happen? How does, how does money become an idol for us? And I, I want to propose to you there's three ways that money begins to become an idol for us. The first thing is this. God wants to be your compass. He wants to be the one, when you make decisions in your life and you say, I don't know if I should go here or there, I don't know how, what I should do on a Sunday, how I should spend my Friday nights, a Christian who's a real Christian, the compass for their life is God. When they make decisions, they think about what God wants them to do. They pray about it. They ask for his will in their lives. They look in scripture and they try to learn their faith. God is their compass. But doesn't money become that for us? Money can so easily be the thing by which we make decisions. 
Well, you know, Father Brian, I'd love to make it to Mass on Sunday, but they're paying overtime on Sunday. And so I, I think I better, I really need to make the money. Well, I know God commands me to be generous to the poor, but if I'm generous to the poor, that means I can't make my return on investment this year and, I don't know, have my gold-plated diapers or whatever. Do you know that line? Apparently not. It's awesome. Okay. But, right, we, we can do that. Money can become a compass for us that takes the place of God. That's the first way. When that gets stronger, when we start looking stronger and stronger to money to make our decisions, money starts to take our obedience. We become obedient to, to money. That's so easy for that to happen. Brothers and sisters, we are called to be obedient to God. A third way is in your trust. And this is related to happiness as well. Sometimes we think, you know, what's going to make you happy in life? And no one ever says, you know, a million dollars. Because they know they're not supposed to say that. But you think it. And I do too, so give me your money. <laughs> We think that. We can easily think that. We know that's the wrong answer, but, but we feel that way. And we can start to put our trust in money. We think, if I have enough money, then I'm secure for the future. We start to trust it. And this leads to my second point. The second reason that God cares about what you do with your money and how, why money has so much to do with your faith is because Money is an act of faith. When we're generous with God, when we tithe, say we're going to be talking about tithing. Tithing means we give our first 10% back to God. Tithing, brothers and sisters, is a concrete act of faith. Because here's the truth, and this is made, this is, all three of these points are big, but this is probably one where we feel it the most in our day-to-day -day lives. Every one of us in this church has fears about the future. Don't we? I have fears about the future. In the, the diocese right now, there's a big debate among the priests about what's an obligation of an individual priest and what's the obligation of a diocese for when a priest retires. And you all know, I'm, I'm not going to retire. I'm just going to collapse at the altar, right? And God, when I go to judgment, God's going to be like, Brian, you did this and this and this. And I'm going to be like, yeah, but I died at the altar. You've got to let me in. And he'll be like, all right, you got me. <laughs> you know? But it's this big debate, and I have fears about that. I have fears about the future. And that what the future always says is there's not going to be enough tomorrow. We all get scared about that. What if tomorrow there's not enough? Tim Gray, as I always, I steal this line from him. It's a great line. Tim Gray always says, fear of the future is what keeps us from being generous in the present. Fear of the future keeps us from being generous in the present. Isn't that true? So in the Exodus story, the, the, the Old Testament Jews are very much like us. Paul says that in 1 Corinthians 10. 
But in Exodus chapter 16, what happened, the, the Jews are in slavery. God liberates them. He frees them. But they have an issue of faith. And what happens is they have all this food from Egypt, and they go into the wilderness. And when they hit chapter 16 on the other side of the Red Sea, that's in chapter 14, when they get to the other side of the Red Sea, they run out of food. And they start to grumble against Moses and against God. And they say, why did you lead us out of Egypt? It would be better if we were still in slavery. At least we had food. Now you've led us out here just to die in the wilderness. They didn't trust that God could take care of them. They had fear about the future. And so what happens in Exodus chapter 16 is God rains down bread from heaven. Now how long... You all know this, right? Catholics know their Bible better than they think. How long did the Jews walk in the wilderness? Forty years. Forty years God fed them with bread from heaven. And here's the cool part that I really want to hit on that relates to our topic today. Is that when God gives them the bread from heaven, the manna, which is a prefigurement of the Eucharist, when he gives them the manna from heaven... He commands them that they're only allowed to take, to gather up enough of that bread for that day. They're not allowed to gather extra for tomorrow. Why? Because God is trying to get them to trust him. Because if I can only get bread for today, God, that actually means I have to trust that you're going to provide bread You pray this every day. Without You might not know this. There's a reference to this in the Our Father. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. The manna was the bread of faith. It trained Israel that they had to trust God tomorrow. And brothers and sisters, we're all alike in this. We are all scared about what might happen tomorrow. I am too. But guess what? I know tomorrow, I know when I get to tomorrow, I don't know that I'll be perfectly comfortable. I don't know that everything is going to be a really high standard of living or something like that. But I do know that God will be there. And so I can trust. I can be generous today because I know that God will be there for me tomorrow. Generosity with your finances, brothers and sisters, is one of the best ways you can ever grow in faith. Because you actually give God a chance to prove that he's faithful. And to show you in your life that he's going to be there for you. The temptation against that, of course, is to store up so much because we're so scared. We're so scared about tomorrow. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus tells a story about that. In Luke chapter 12, there's a, there's a parable of a landowner who, who's really smart in worldly terms. He saves and he saves and he saves against tomorrow. And in Luke 12, he stores up so much that the barns he has 
to save his grain are too small. And so here's what he says. He says, what shall I do now that I have nowhere to store my crops? He said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Is that not what our culture tells us? You want a good life? Build bigger barns. Save, store up. My finance professor at the University of Colorado told me that if I was not a millionaire by the time I was 40, that I was stupid and had not paid enough attention to what they taught us at CU. And I'm that close. I'm just kidding. <laughs> if, he, if you're here today, you'd be like, there, somewhere he's shaking his head going, Brian, what did you do? The world tells us that. Store up. Store up. Save. Have lots. Have lots of leftover. Here's what Jesus says. God said to him that night, you fool. This night, your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Such is the man who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Tithing, brothers and sisters, is an act of faith. Show me where you spend, and it's not just money, right? This is why we do things about volunteering in the church, giving away your life. Show me where you spend your time and where you spend your money, and I will tell you what's important in your life. You can talk about how deep your faith is all you want, all day long, but show me where you spend your time and where you spend your money, and I'll tell you what matters to you. So that's the second reason. It's an act of faith. And God wants us to trust him, to grow in faith. The third reason is this. Christianity, and I rail about this all the time, you know this, Christianity is not a system of rules, right? And we, all, we always think it is. We always think it's, okay, Lord, I had this many sins, but I had this many good works, so the balance tilts this way, and I get to go to heaven. That's not Christianity. There is a truth to that, but it's not Christianity. Christianity is Jesus Christ living inside of me. That's Christianity. That's a faith that's alive, is when God lives inside of you. And he wants to transform us, right? He wants to make us just like him. And so that means, brothers and sisters, if you're a real Christian, that means you're becoming more like Jesus. And guess what? God is generous. He is supremely generous. The world tells you, and to go back to that, what we were saying a minute ago, the world tells us every day, it's in the music we listen to, it's in the TV shows we watch, it's when, you know, I used to like, uh, in seminary, I'd go pray a rosary at night, and I'd walk through these neighborhoods, and there were these like awesome mansions, and I was like, Lord, that's going to be my house in heaven, right? And there was something speaking in my heart that says, that's happiness. Your neighbor next to you gets a nicer car. What do you do? You're like, 
you look at your car and you're like, why am I driving this car? They get a, you think you need a bigger house. Ladies, you're like, you want to dress nicer and you want your husbands to dress nicer. That's another homily. But we want more and we think that's what life's about. The world tells us that every day in a thousand ways. It's in the people we live next to and work with. It's in the music. It's in TV. It's on the internet. It's everywhere. But it's not Christian. Jesus has the opposite logic. And he tells us this in parables, in commandments, in teachings, over and over again. He says, if you want to be first, you have to be last. Remember last weekend's gospel? He says, if you want to be the head of all, you must become the servant of all. He says, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And my favorite, when he repeats over seven times in the gospels, Jesus says, the one who seeks his own life will lose it, but the one who loses his life for my sake will find it. What God teaches us about happiness, brothers and sisters, is that you'll never have it unless you give your life away to Jesus. You and I are supposed to be like him. And here's the truth, right? God is supremely generous. He is so generous, he couldn't give us anything more because he gives us himself, which is the source of all wealth and richness in the world. I was listening to another, uh, another pastor this weekend on this topic, and he had this great line. He said, you know, you can give without loving. It's possible to give to be generous without really having love. Right? People can do it for tax breaks or because it makes them look good or for whatever reason. But, he says, you cannot love without giving. You cannot love without giving. If you really love, you give yourself away. And think about it. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God can't give more than that. We ask for kind of like the scraps. We want our test to go well or our, I don't know, our family to get along or whatever. God can't be more generous than he already has been. He gives the one thing that he has, which is his son. He's supremely generous. And that's the third reason we're called to be generous. It's because we're supposed to be like Jesus. People who are generous, I love people who are generous. People who are generous, they just have a joy to them and a goodness. They reflect God into the world. The toughest area for us to do this with is our finances. And I think that goes, I think it's because of that second reason. It's because we're scared about the future. But brothers and sisters, if you have a loving father, who cares about you, which he does, you don't have to fear tomorrow because he's there. He'll be there. And again, we do not believe in the health and wealth gospel. Every year I get scared about this. I'm like, someone's going to go home and they're going to say, Father Brian said if I give 100 bucks to Lord, I'm going to be a millionaire. No, I didn't. And you can bear your own sin on your head. God doesn't promise that. 
He does say he'll bless you. Malachi 3, look it up. Malachi chapter 3, all over the Bible, we're told we're not allowed to test God. Never test God. You're not allowed to. In Matthew chapter 4, when Satan tempts Jesus, the, last temp- or the second temptation, he's gonna, he takes him to the top of the temple, and he says, throw yourself down and test God. And Jesus responds, and he says, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. You and I don't test God. We don't do that. It's against his law, except in one place, which is tithing. The only place in the Bible God challenges you and I to put him to the test is in Malachi 3. And what he says is this. Let's see if I have it marked. I do. (laughs) How convenient. He says, will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how are we robbing you? In your tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you an overflowing blessing. Brothers and sisters, if you're generous with God and with the church, I'm not going to promise you that your finances will get better, but I will promise you that you'll be okay, and I will promise you that you will be blessed, and far greater than you could ever realize. So I'm asking you to partner with you. Next week, we have Commitment Weekend. Once a year, I want you to look at next year, 2018, Don't give God your leftovers. That's what so many of us do. We pay our electric bill and our phone bill and our television and our mortgage, and then we say, you know what, God, if there's anything left over, I'll give you you what I've got left over. That is so backwards. Put God first. He gave you everything. Everything you have is his. Put him first. The first 10% of your income should go to God. Go home this week, look at your finances. You should have gotten a letter in the mail this week from me. If you didn't, that means we either don't have your address or like you wrote the wrong one intentionally or I don't know, something like that. But if you didn't get one on the edge of the pews or some cards and they have giving guidelines on there, I want you to look at it this week. Come back next week. I'm going to ask you next week at Mass to make your commitment to Our Lady of Lords for 2018. Pray about it, think about it. Brothers and sisters, it will bring freedom to your life. Grow in generosity, be more like the Son of God. And so today, go home, go home with your family, and shoot your cow.